This morning's scripture readings are from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seeds sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately, to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. It is good. It is just good to be back together this week, hearing the words of Jesus in Mark's gospel. I'd like to examine with you first this morning, what Jesus is saying here, but then also focus on what Jesus is doing here. Normally, we don't want to stray too far from simply what Jesus teaches because it gets both dangerous and distracting. Dangerous because, based on little details, people have made all sorts of things up about Jesus and have speculated way too far into what Jesus was thinking and feeling and intending. And so a little glance towards Mary Magdalene or a moment with Peter has been blown up in many cases into things that they were not intended to be. It would also be distracting straying too far from the words of Jesus because too often readers and preachers miss an opportunity to hone in on the words of him who is called the Word made flesh. But Jesus teaches here, not only using, but pointedly bringing to our attention a specific and ancient rhetorical advice that existed long before Jesus started to teach himself. That is the parable, which literally is translated into this idea of putting things side by side. And not only does he employ this parable, but he does so in rapid fire, right? Four times, four consecutive parables that we read this morning, all while calling our attention to the fact that this is what he is doing. Bam, 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 right? Coming at you. Hardly time to think or digest it. And remember, people are just hearing this. They're not reading it on a sheet of paper. As he concluded his earlier epic parable of the soils, which we examined a couple weeks ago, and Pastor Brett did a great job of presenting to us. Down in verse 9, he, he likewise here ends one parable and begins another with this statement. He who has ears, 
Let him hear. He's calling our attention back. Here is another parable. He asks in verse 30, what, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? And finally, Mark himself sort of tells us, it's an aside here at the end, but an important one clearly, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. He did not speak, in fact, without a parable. That doesn't mean that every one of his teaching was a parable. But if you're with Jesus long enough, any occasion, you couldn't get by and you couldn't get out of there without hearing a parable. And so Jesus and Mark intersperse these regular reminders of, hey, remember, you're listening to a parable. That's important. And it clues us in that how Jesus is teaching is, in this instance, nearly as important as what he is teaching. And we see this all the time, right? Through every kind of art in our lives, every kind of artistic expression. And there are many forms of art we use, right? Our own forms of self-expression. So Alina, who just read for us this morning, has a background in physical drama which is meant to communicate something about the the power of body language itself and the the gracefulness of the human body while trying to express some life truth or life struggle. And the body can sort of do that. I mean, I have my own sermon dance, for instance. It's like... You know, that sort of... that, That was spontaneous, but... I should have planned that beforehand. But, right, art communicates something. How we express it says as much about what we express. Her husband, Nathan, is a flamenco guitarist, a musical style which lends itself to bold, bright, forceful statements of self-expression. Sure, you could say, hey, I want to have fun. I don't care what you think. Or you could just listen to Nathan's album. It expresses something that just saying, hey, Let's have fun and let's be bold about it. Can't. Friend Jen Smith. She's a wonderful photographer with an oft-visited blog. I saw about a a week or so ago, um, having recently, she made a slight career shift. She reflected back on her career as a CPA auditor. Rather just writing about it, because you know how exciting it is to write about auditing, right? I mean, uh, or, or perhaps singing to us about it or some other form she expressed it through various pop culture video clips that loop back as you read the page. All right, so various pop culture video clips to kind of share her story, which I thought was really interesting and a really good way of sharing it. She, she began with a, a wide-eyed Emma Watson interview and then moved through to a cat futilely try to sprint up a, a playground slide, which is always entertaining. It just tried to run, 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 and just didn't run. And then finally, a Big Bang Theory montage. It was just, it was a just gorgeous medley of, of pop culture, and through that she gave a brief history of her life in CPA auditing. Now, what is she doing there? She could have just said all these things, but what is she doing? She is broadening relatability and accessibility of life as an auditor, by using these popular sort of touch points with which people can relate, right? when maybe they otherwise couldn't. I don't know what a post 
busy season 331 client is, as she said on her page. But I know what it's like to be a child repeatedly hit by a soccer ball. And apparently the two are very similar. So I can understand, I can relate. Of all these forms of self-expression, we say just as much of what a person says is how they say it. As much as what someone says is how they say it, right? So we're going to look at both this morning. What Jesus is saying and how he's saying it, what he's doing. First, what is Jesus saying? We will sort of briefly look at this. Through the rhetorical art form of a parable, Jesus is making a number of statements about life in his kingdom. The Bible says clearly that there are two kingdoms, but no Switzerland. All right, there's no neutrality. Two kingdoms, no Switzerland. According to Colossians 1, 12, and 13, there is the domain of darkness. The domain, the kingdom of darkness. And there's the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Here we are invited into a point in Jesus' story where he systematically is confronting the kingdom of this world, the domain of darkness, the normal way of living into which each of us was likely born and continued in the trajectory of our lives. He's confronting that kingdom, that system, with his new kingdom. It's explosive sometimes, and it forces people to make decisions about which direction they're going to go in, as I hope it will for you this morning. You may have come this morning, I like my, I like my coffee, I've been, I've, we've shared a few laughs, we've enjoyed some music, but you will be confronted this morning, because kingdoms collide. He gives four parables to describe his kingdom side by side with one's life even our lives. So let's look at these together. First, verses 21 through 22, the first little mini parable. He said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Elsewhere in the Gospels, when you hear about a lamp, it's as an object, as in light a lamp. Right? Or the eye is the lamp. But here, the lamp is the subject. Why is that? Why is it different here in Mark? Because Jesus is trying to tell them that he is the lamp. The lamp to be brought into the world and give it light. As he gradually makes this world his kingdom, everything will be brought to light. It will be. It's, just, it's inevitable. As he spreads his kingdom into more and more pockets and more and more places, you'll see it here. But inevitably, it will be brought to light everywhere. And this is good news. This is good news. The secret things with which people get away, the unseen abuses that harm others but not the abuser, those who take advantage yet remain ever-friendly, all the backroom hypocrisy, the king will expose. And that is good news. Verses 24 through 25, we see the next little mini parable. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. 
For to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This idea of measuring wasn't unusual for the disciples. They've heard it before and always in the context of cooking, of bread, of preparing to put a little, a little loaf of bread together and you measure out the flour and the various ingredients that go into it. Jesus' point is if you measure out more of your attention, more of your thinking, more of your living, more of your worldview, your lifestyle, your very person for the king, it will matter. It will make a difference. And this is good news because before us stands an authority who will take notice And how accustomed are we to authorities in our lives, whoever they might be, who don't take notice, who rarely see and express commendation in our life? Here's an authority who will take notice every time. And that's good news. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that he will reward those who earnestly seek God. You will receive just reward and, and more. Our third parable, we get down to verse 26. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The earth by itself, sorry, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Service in his kingdom is far more about resting in faith than laboring in works. It's far more about trusting and resting in that trust. Now what Jesus has done is going to do by his Holy Spirit is far more about that than it is about our works and what we do and how we labor and how we sweat and what we can come up with. Yes, there is some seed spreading and once done reaping, but in between you got sleeping, right? You're in this parable. And you get this amazing phrase, the earth produces by itself. That little phrase, by itself, used about the earth, is a Greek word, automate, which, from which we derive our English, it's automatic automatic for the people. For each step of growth, God is automatic. You can be assured that God is faithful to work even when we are not. Whether we're not faithful to work or whether we're resting from our work. Whether we're distracted from our work. Whether we're doing the wrong work. Jesus is faithful to keep doing that work of growth in and around you, kingdom work. That is good news, isn't it? Fourth parable here, verses 30 through 32. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. A bush from the tiniest mustard seeds could grow up to 3 by 12 feet. 
in one's common garden. A yeah, place where you grow your tomatoes and your periwinkle, right? This tiny little seed, God uses the smallest beginnings, whether it be one's faith, a small band of people, tiny resources, and not impressive reputation to grow his kingdom. Isn't that good news? I mean, look at this church. Upon Katie and I's arrival, there were 15, 20 people. And I had basically three months of guaranteed salary. And if, if the church didn't grow enough, I was pretty much communicated that this experiment's over. The experiment being Sunrise Community Church. <laughs> no one uh, who'd ever been an elder before led community groups. And I'd never been a, a senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever you want to call it. I, small beginnings grows his kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying here. What is Jesus doing? Why does he give these things that seem like riddles and he repeats them over and over again and you got to listen and you have this this brief period where you could respond. What is Jesus doing through how he says what he says? A parable is a culturally relevant story that is meant to teach, not through an explicit moral or through a point. You're always looking, what's the point of the story? but through a personal response and follow-up inquiry. In other words, the the method was a story that you and I could relate to, to our everyday life, right? In this time, a lamp, a measuring cup, agriculture. This was people's lives. But the intent wasn't just to tell a good story or just to teach, but for the persons listening to interact with it, to respond. Meant to be heard, not read, and in the context of everyday life, not a classroom, a lecture hall, or even in pulpits and in pews. And though deeply true and nearly exhaustive pictures, brilliant pictures of God's kingdom, these parables were auditory. Because they were auditory, Jesus intended them to provide enough truth and enough goodness to cause the interested to go to him and inquire further. Okay, Jesus, I heard that. That sounded good. And notice exactly, that's exactly what we see. Jesus spotlights unusual goodness and those interested inquire further in our passage this morning. So let's look at that. First, people were accustomed to darkness. In this day and age, in the evenings, the average Jewish household had at best one lamp to light. And while some people had a stand upon which to put that lamp up high to illuminate most of the room, but not all, most had to use a thick tree branch, and they just kind of pushed it, MacGyver-like, into the earthen floor. They figured out a way to kind of wedge it in there. But within what they were accustomed to, there was an unusual goodness, once lit It literally kept darkness from invading the home. Thieves and robbers knew that sleepers were present, and they said, generally said, not that house, not that house, not that house. Literally kept the darkness of life out. It was a tiny and very inexpensive security system, right? Unusual goodness. People would say, yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. That is something really good that I never before considered about this little lamp in our house. 
People were accustomed to a limit to the rule of reciprocity. You get back what you put in. Give and take equally. People were used to the evil prospering as they are now. The poor cheated, hard workers going unrecognized and unrewarded. And as far as it had to do with cooking, at best, bread stays the same size that you measure it in, right? Ah, but there's the unusual goodness of cooking. Have you ever thought about it? Of yeast and leaven. Yeast or leaven. The unusual goodness of adding a fungus. You add a fungus and all of a sudden something tastes just as good, if not better. And expands. Who would have thought? Add a fungus, things get better. Usually that's not what we say in our lives, right? But there's an unusual goodness in that. People are accustomed to, if you want something done right, do it yourself. But Jesus says the earth by itself produces on its own. Right? We're used to getting in there, rolling up our sleeves, superintending every part of the process. Some of you are managers in what you do. Some teachers having to look over every student and every bit of their progress. Some of you hover over your children. Next step, next step. In the kingdom of God, just like the earth, you can go to sleep and things happen. People are accustomed to big results depending on big beginnings. Right? Even back then, big capital, a big name, a big family. And back then, business was family-run. Every business was basically family-run, so it depended on a fertile family. Fertile family means big business, right? More employees. But Jesus said, look at the mustard seed. Most of you have one in your personal garden. It's the smallest of small things, the seed that sometimes even just gets lost. You can't find it or it's so tiny you don't see it anymore produces the largest item in the garden. Jesus called people's attention to just these normal things of life, within which there was just a little bit of unusual goodness, a little miracle, a little hint that there's something greater going on behind the everyday life that you and I live in. People saw this. They saw enough, and a number of people responded by going to Jesus privately, by inquiring further. We see this Back in verse 10 of chapter 4, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately, his disciples go to him. People go to him privately. Probably went something like this. Hey, you know, I don't get the whole measuring flour analogy, but I know I want more bread. And I feel, I usually get gypped with less. In my life in general. You might say, well, you know, it's pretty amazing, actually, how you can sow this little seed and let my fields, my, the rain, the sunshine do the rest. Is God's kingdom really like that? Because that's pretty good. That's a really good deal. Tell me more. That's the kind of idea that's going on here. Every year I, I can barely see, much less find, that mustard seed. But I can see the bush from my synagogue. Can that happen? Can I be a part of that? Jesus. It's not that people understood, oh my gosh, every light has turned on. Really, this is it in a nutshell. Jesus uses parables like these to offer a, a little sampler of unusual goodness 
so that those who taste might inquire within. Just a sample from their everyday lives of unusual goodness that those who taste of it, who take it, might then inquire within. When I was very young, I remember my dad taking our entire family, including my older brother and sister, and my mom, against her will, to the mall. Um, now, a lot of people just go to the mall to window shop and perhaps uh, on various days to you know, get something on sale. We often went, especially on holidays, around holidays, because the candy and food store, especially the food store, would hand out samplers. Their strategy was, if I can get this person to sample how unusually good just a taste of my product is compared to the other products, they might taste it and come inside and inquire within. How can I get some more? How much is it? What's it going to cost me? That's the whole strategy behind this, right? And my father's goal, of course, was equally crafty and more resolute. I will eat the free food that I will never pay, lest they win, right? I know their strategy. Say, <laughs> so like, oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna buy that. And so once Costco opened, you can imagine what, what Costco warehouses. If you're not familiar with the United States, of course, I think that's what cost you less, sort of based off of. Um, there were these membership warehouses. If you're not aware of them. And you'd go in, and they'd give all these samples, especially on Sundays, samples of food, almost every aisle. So our after-church Sunday brunch (laughs) was completed at the cornucopia of the Costco aisle, which was wonderful (laughs) and a little humorous, to be honest. Dad, I'm really sick of egg rolls. I've tasted every kind of egg roll here at Costco. That gives you an idea. In each parable, Jesus gives to us a sampling of unusual goodness that we might then inquire within, that we might invest in the whole shebang, the kingdom of God. Let's look again at each one, and I want to make sure we hear. We hear the unusual goodness for ourselves today. So the parable of the mustard seed. Here's the question. What is small in my life? We all have small things in our lives, don't we? Purpose and priorities in our lives. Some of your purpose and priorities might feel shallow or mostly self-serving or just unsatisfying. Small love, small affection, small emotions in your life. If your heart feels, feels narrow, constricted, cold. Maybe it's your resistance in life that's small. You give in to defeat. You succumb to the baser pleasures of comfort, ease, lust, quick gain. All these things trump the noblest intentions we have. Maybe it's your abilities that feel small. Maybe that's you this morning. You feel, I don't don't have anything to contribute. One of the wonderful things about life in Jesus' kingdom is that the king gives gifts. It's been one of the greatest graces to me is that I was not an accomplished or even very able student before I trusted my life to King Jesus. Because now, it's a great grace to me, because now when people ask about me becoming a pastor or want to pass along an encouraging word about a sermon or such, I can freely tell people without boasting that God has gifted me to teach. And 
as I go on to, to talk about that, I'm able to say it's pretty obvious because I had no such inclination or ability before the reign and rule of Jesus invaded my life. I didn't want to study. I'm not one of these people who was in a book all the time. I like to play sports and crack jokes. Something happened when I trusted my life, King Jesus. The king gave me a gift. It's amazing. But that's a little sampling of the goodness you get, the life of the kingdom. He just wants to give good gifts to his children. Size matters only in that King Jesus delights in starting small. And that's good news. Unusual goodness in the world we live in. How much better to bring himself more glory and feed our trust in him by starting small and growing from there. Another place in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Exactly. It's all him. He has done it. He is good. And you can trust that he'll do it. Bring big things out of small beginnings. What about the parable of the growing seed? Where is futility in my life? Ask yourself this question. Where is futility in our lives? We're all accustomed to futility. Jesus says something great about the kingdom. When it invades your life, you get unusual goodness in the midst of futility. Relationships. For instance, maybe you feel futility in the relationships in your life. In his wonderful book, A Praying Life, uh, Paul Miller, it's a, it's a great book, highly recommend it. it, talks about his now friend, Bob, who didn't care for Paul at all. He didn't care for him. He treated him like a servant, he said. He commented that he didn't like, I don't even like the way you dress, he said at one time. Which you know things have really gone sour when one male resorts to unjokingly calling out another man's fashion, right? That just doesn't happen. <laughs> Men, we just generally don't care. It says, I don't even like the way you dress. You know it's bad. He tried everything. He, Paul tried to be consistently kind to this man. He tried unusual and, and, and consistent acts of mercy, and he gave it time, and nothing changed. Then he read this parable in Mark 4 about the growing seed. And he realized that he had unwisely approached an attempt at change. The order that Jesus is teaching is plant, wait, and then harvest. Plant, in other words, ask God, pray to him. Wait, watch what God does, and then harvest. Work at the relationship. He, like most, tried to harvest, right? Work at the relationship. On our own strength, watch the relationship disintegrate. And then out of desperation, you pray. Okay, Lord, I've tried everything. Need your help here. Jesus gives us a kingdom strategy for earthly futility. How good is that? How good is that? Prayer, when you sow a seed of prayer or the good news in someone's life, a seed first. God works behind the scenes. You can actually just sit back, watch what he does, pay attention, and then work. Bring in the harvest. You might sense futility in all areas of your life. He has a kingdom strategy, for instance, for your work. He opens doors through prayer and in relationships with the taste of good news. Through discipline. Maybe you, you feel like, man, I just cannot stay disciplined in my life. How often do we rush out to secure a gym membership 
Or you make a decision to get more discipline over coffee with a friend and say, hey, keep me accountable for this. That's where we start. There's a kingdom strategy that can prevent futility. The king delights in showing us that he is automatic to work whether we sleep or not. The parable of the measure. Where do my efforts go unrewarded? Where do my efforts go unrewarded? I have a friend who's a speech therapist. or was a speech therapist in a government school for many years on island before moving. He'd make little comments at times and jokes about ineffectiveness and, man, these kids and this and that. And so one time I asked him, hey, man, do you, do you get frustrated? Do you get frustrated because you don't see results for the work that you put in, the labor you do on behalf of these kids? And he said, you know what, I just... You've got to set your expectations lower. It's got to be realistic. At least then you're less frustrated. How many of us feel like that in our lives? The kingdom matters to that. Jesus is saying here in the kingdom, your generosity stores up treasures in heaven which nobody can touch. It won't go unrewarded. Through responding to his goodness with work, Living for him, he promises a crown and to greet us at the end of our lives with well done, good and faithful servant. He sees all and he will reward for all. That is good news. Finally, the parable of the lamp. Don't miss the message there. Is there bitterness in my life toward others? When I see injustice, is there bitterness in my life towards others? They don't take hints, they won't admit secrecy. They don't see their hypocrisy, and it causes over time to grow bitter. You know that feeling when you see them again after not seeing them for a while? You're like, oh, I don't want to talk to that person. The king will expose either one day when we all stand before him to give an account for our lives or today on this earth. And that does two things, by the way. It gives you peace in the midst of injustice, knowing that the king will ask for an account for every person for the way they've lived their lives but also it gives us hope that a wrongdoer might see, turn and put their trust in a Savior who longs to rescue them. And that's good news too. There are three possible responses to this. The Jesus sampler of unusual goodness. I want you to consider how you might respond this morning. Too good to be true, too much to be true, or too good and true too. Too good to be true is typically spoken out of pain and discontentment with your life. And maybe you're there. When you hear Jesus' offer of unusual goodness in his kingdom, you think, man, that's not by my experience with other Christians. That has not been the church I grew up in. That is not the God who was presented to me. Maybe that's what you think and you hear. Maybe your response is it's too much to be true. That's spoken out of the, the wealth and pleasure of your lot in life. The call of Jesus to trust him enough to measure out your whole life to him. To give yourself to spreading good news. To make unusual decisions based on an invisible kingdom. Doesn't seem like a worthy substitute for the life you have now. I'd rather put off that decision for a while. You're thinking, it'd still make money. I'd rather live out my 20s. I'd rather focus on my career and family. Rather keep going as long as I got a good thing going. I'm even willing to believe in Jesus if I can just put off trusting my life to him. 
See, friends, here's the utter beauty of what Jesus does here in the parable. Jesus shows them that the miracle within everyday things reveals a divine kingdom is present in this world and forever available for everyday life. And I hope you will respond to the kingdom life and indeed Jesus in this way, that it is too good and true too. Not too good to be true, not too much to be true, but too good and true too. On the one hand, the kingdom is sufficiently realistic. Like the daily tasks of lighting a lamp, measuring food, spreading seed, gardening, the kingdom's influence affects your everyday life, daily moments, how you relate with neighbors, how you spend your money, how you view everyone from your spouse to the dude who gives you a latte in the morning, finding purpose and work. King Jesus infuses moments with just cinema-like changes in attitude with people with whom you work or relate to. Undreamed successes, supernatural strength, eternal purpose, all to expand his reign on this earth and in people's lives. And on the other hand, the kingdom is wildly good. For those who think it's Pollyanna, it's realistic. For those who say, man, that just costs too much, consider how worth the kingdom is. As the wonder of fire sheds light upon what's done in secret, the curiosity of yeast expands ordinary bread to become more, the magic trick of how a man can throw seeds, sleep, sharpen the sickle, all while doing very little himself, show us it is so good to be part of this kingdom. Jesus similarly shines light to liberate from darkness and deceit. He measures out to you far more lasting pleasure than anything your riches, your comfort, the shallow escapes of your life now can provide. It's far more worth it, friends. And I pray that you hear that this morning. I pray that your response would then be to inquire within. If you say to yourself, you know, I don't get all of this this morning, but here's what I do get. There's evidence in normal life of unusual goodness. Who is giving that evidence? Who is at work behind it? My suggestion to you is it is King Jesus. So this morning, I would usually end in a prayer. I would usually close and asking Jesus to, you know, to commit these things to him, to work into our lives. But as we see here, as this passage concludes, the sermon goes on. The sermon goes on into our singing, into the time afterwards when you get coffee. Because for Jesus, the sermon goes on. He's, he asked, he intends for us to inquire within, to seek him. So even now as the band comes forth, and comes up here on stage, what they're going to do right now. I want to encourage you, inquire within. Maybe you just ask Jesus, as we sing words of praise to him, hey God, I don't understand all this. Will you help reveal to me the truth about yourself? Reveal to me what life would be like living with you and for you and in your kingdom. Maybe... How radical is this? Instead of getting coffee afterwards, you might turn to a neighbor and say, you know what? I'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus. Or here's what I believe about God. What do you think? Does this make me a Christian? How radical would that be this morning? To not just hear, but truly inquire within. There's unusual goodness available to you. 
Don't settle for just a sampler. Try to get the whole meal. Let's worship him together.